Welcome to the Disney Wedding Podcast, brought to you by Passporter's Disney Weddings and Honeymoons, the only guidebook and bridal organizer tailored exclusively to Disney's fairy tale weddings. I'm your host, Carrie Hayward. Each week I feature a different aspect of Disney weddings, from the latest news, information, and money-saving tips, to interviews with wedding vendors and real Disney brides and grooms. I also cover honeymoons, anniversaries, and engagements at the Disney parks and resorts. Join me now as the Disney Wedding Podcast celebrates romance at Disney destinations worldwide. Today on the Disney Wedding Podcast, we are talking all about the Wishes collection of weddings and vow renewals at Walt Disney World. Today's show is going to be a complete overview of how Wishes works, what's included, what isn't included, how much it costs all the things you can add, and how to plan one, as well as a timeline of how the typical Wishes wedding runs. My guest today is Christy Fay, who was married at Walt Disney World. Welcome, Christy. Hi, Carrie. Thanks so much for being on my show again. Those of you who are longtime listeners may remember that last year, Christy shared the story of her Christmas wedding at Walt Disney World, and I will put the link to that episode in the post for this show so you can hear all about it. Christy, do you want to tell my listeners a little bit about your Wishes wedding? Sure. We actually originally booked with Wishes. And while we were planning, they made available the mini Wishes package. So we switched to that. We had our ceremony at the wedding pavilion and we had our reception at Narcoozies. We had a brunch and we only had a small number of guests. We had about 22, I think it was. And like you said, it was a Christmas wedding, so everything was Christmas-themed. Our characters were, our decorations were. We also did a dessert party, a welcome party, and we did a farewell breakfast. Okay, great stuff. Well, this is going to be good because one of the questions people always ask is, what's the difference between the Wishes Collection and what they call the Wishes Catered Event Experience, or is known online as Mini Wishes? So we will talk about the differences there in just a second. The first thing to know is that starting in 2017, the Wishes collection is priced by season. So we're going to talk about the prices in a second, but basically there are two seasons, a low season, which is January through April and July through August, and a high season, which is May through June and September through December. And the prices that change are part of the minimum expenditures. So Wishes is not a package like Escape or Memories. There's no flat fee that you pay and set of standard things that you get. It is a completely a la carte customizable event. But Disney requires you to spend a certain amount on the things you pick. So they have three main minimum expenditures, and we're going to go over each of those and what you have to do to meet those. And combined, they total how much you're going to spend on your wedding. Your price for a Wishes event is going to depend on the ceremony location fee, plus the food and beverage minimum, which is determined by your guest count, plus the enhancement minimum. When you add all those things up, you're going to get your total price. So first, let's talk about the ceremony location fee. The Wedding Pavilion has a ceremony fee of $4,000 in low season and $6,000 in high season. Every place else except the Magic Kingdom has a ceremony fee of $3,500 in low season 
and $5,500 in high season. So you basically are deciding between whether you want to use the wedding pavilion or pretty much any place else. If you get married in Epcot, Animal Kingdom, if you use Seabreeze Point or one of the convention center locations, those are the two main options. Now, if you do want to get married in the Magic Kingdom, those have separate minimums. So if you want to get married at the train station in the Magic Kingdom, the ceremony location fee is $15,000. If you want to use the East Plaza Garden, which is their newer location that's in the hub, that costs $25,000 just for the ceremony fee. And then if you want to do the new after-hours ceremony in the Magic Kingdom, that's a flat $180,000 minimum expenditure. So you aren't really going to have to count your pennies there because you're spending $180,000 and they don't care how you spend it. (laughs) (laughs) The next minimum that you have to worry about after you figure out your ceremony location fee is the food and beverage minimum. And these are per person. They don't include tax and service charge. That's extra. And we'll talk about that in a second. So if you have a breakfast or a brunch, which means your ceremony is at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 10 a.m., and your reception lasts four hours, that's going to cost $125 per person. If you have a lunch, which means your ceremony is at noon and you have a five-hour reception, that is a food and beverage minimum of $150. And then if you have a dinner, so your ceremony will be at 2.30 p.m., 5 p.m., or 7.30 p.m., and the reception will last five hours, that costs $175 per person. And again, the Magic Kingdom has separate minimums for those. If you do a train station ceremony, you have a flat food and beverage minimum of $10,000. And if you do the East Plaza Garden, you have a flat food and beverage minimum of $15,000. And it should be noted that those receptions won't be in the Magic Kingdom. They will be out of the convention centers or any of the regular places where you can have a wedding reception at Walt Disney World. So sometimes people get confused about the food and beverage minimum because in addition to these overall per person minimums, there are sometimes venue specific food and beverage minimums. So perhaps you're having a brunch. So Disney says you have to spend $125 per person on your food, but your brunch is at Living Seas, which has its own separate minimum expenditure of, I think it's about $3,000 now. What that means is that everything you spend on food and beverage just at the Living Seas, not including, you know, if you had a cocktail hour someplace else, needs to total $3,000. Now, usually Disney fairy tale weddings per person minimums are so high that you don't really have to worry about whether you're going to meet the venue specific minimum if there is one. But it's good to know because some of the places like American Adventure Rotunda have pretty high venue specific minimums. But for now, all we're worrying about are the three minimums that make up the overall price of wishes. So we've talked about the ceremony location fee, and now we've covered the food and beverage minimum that is charged per person at your wedding. One thing to consider is that your cake can also be included in that cost. So when I was planning our wedding, I didn't realize that it counted towards our minimums. So we were trying to get to 100, and our menu was coming back at 85, and our planner didn't tell us that our cake was included in that. So we actually could have had a cheaper menu. That is an excellent point. Yeah, sometimes people forget that the beverages like your bar and your cake 
are included. So often Disney will send you these set menus and be like, do you want the one that costs $125, $150, or $175? But you can completely customize those. So you could actually say, I want to spend $50 per person on food, and then I'm going to spend $25 per person on booze, and then I'm going to make up the rest of my minimum with the cake. Because Disney will tell you, you know, the chefs will come back with a quote for your cake, say your cake costs $1,000. Well, then they, if you divide that by the number of people that the cake feeds, that will tell you how much counts toward your per person minimum. So that is a great point, Christy. Don't forget to include the cost of the cake and your beverages when you are figuring out your per person food and beverage minimum. So the third minimum, besides your ceremony fee, besides your food and beverage minimum, the third thing you need to cover if you're having a Wishes event at Walt Disney World is an enhancement minimum expenditure. And basically, it's a minimum amount you have to spend on everything else that you can get from Disney. So transportation, floral and decor, entertainment, anything else Disney provides, if you buy it from them, it will count toward this minimum. So this minimum varies by day of the week. Monday through Wednesday, it's $5,000. If your event is on a Thursday, Friday, or a Sunday, it's $8,000. And if it's on a Saturday, it's $10,000. And again, if you have a Magic Kingdom event, that's a separate price. So for the train station, the enhancement minimum is $15,000. And for the East Plaza Garden, that's $35,000. But everything you get from Disney counts toward this, including the venue fees for, say, your reception. If you had your reception at Italy Asola and they charge you a $10 per person viewing fee for illuminations, that would count toward your enhancement minimum expenditure. So the Wishes collection is made up of these three expenditures. What is Mini Wishes? Last year, Disney introduced what is basically just a discount on Wishes if you have it during certain times of the year, certain days of the week, and you only have a three-hour reception. So when you hear people talk about mini wishes, it's not a separate package. It's not like Escape Plus or anything. It has all the benefits of wishes. It's completely customizable. You have all the same options. You can use any reception location you want. You get a planning session, but you pay less depending on when you have the event. So how that works is the event has to be on a Tuesday, Wednesday, or a Thursday. It can only be held during low season, so that started in 2017, and that means it needs to be held January through April or July through August. It now has a 50 guest maximum, so if you are going to have a larger wedding, you wouldn't qualify for the Wishes Catered Event Experience. And you only get a three-hour reception instead of a four- or five-hour reception. But as someone who had a regular Wishes event and only had a three-hour reception, I can tell you that, especially at brunch, that is plenty of time. Like people don't need to be sitting around shooting the breeze for five hours when it's noon. <laughs> <laughs> we did too. And we had a small amount of guests and we aren't dancers and we didn't want a lot of entertainment. And it was just enough time to have everything we wanted without our guests feeling like they were starting to sit around and get bored. Yes. Yeah. I've heard about a couple people where their guests left their wedding early and it always just breaks my heart. And so I think I was conscious of that when I shortened our reception. <laughs> so the prices, if you do the Wishes Catered event experience, the ceremony fee is 
$4,000 for the wedding pavilion and $3,500 every place else, and you can't use the Magic Kingdom. So that's a little bit lower because you are in low season. And then the food and beverage minimums are also $25 per person cheaper. So at brunch, you only have to spend $100 per person. At lunch, it's $125 per person. And then for dinner, they don't really call it dinner. They call it either a dessert party or an hors d'oeuvre reception. That has a minimum of $150. Basically, they're encouraging you to have like a fireworks dessert party in Epcot or for Fantasmic at Disney Hollywood Studios or for Wishes at the Grand Floridian or at the Contemporary rather than a sit-down, full-on DJ'd reception like you would with regular Wishes. And then the enhancement minimum for the Wishes Catered Event Experience is only $3,000. So if your dates and your day of the week fall within the requirements for the Wishes Catered Event Experience, it can be a great way to save. And actually, if you only have 20 people, costs less than doing an escape event now in high season. If you wanted to get married at the wedding pavilion with an escape event in high season, it's now $9,000. Whereas with mini wishes in low season, if you only have 20 people, your minimums add up to $8,500. That is a very big difference. And if you're on a budget and you want a Disney wedding, that would be a great way to still have your wedding. Yeah, I highly recommend it, and it's as good a discount as they've ever offered. It's just a little bit confusing because it sounds like it's a separate thing, but it's really just this discount, and it's a great discount. <laughs> and with Wishlist, everything, like you said, everything is customizable, so we really enjoyed still being able to pick our locations and have our planner and to have our planning session, and we really enjoy being able to do all that and not having to choose certain items off a list for fee package, which is great for some people, but for us, we wanted a little more customization. And with the price difference like that, you might enjoy it more to go with mini wishes. Definitely. Yeah, I did an escape overview episode last week, and the escape package is great if you just want to check things off a list and you don't want to have to think about things. But for people who are really hands-on and want to get really detailed and customize their events, wishes can be a lot easier because a lot of times with escape, there's just not that much customization available. Plus, they only have a few locations, whereas if you do wishes, you can pick from any of the ceremony locations. So that's a plus. Yeah, and I think that's really great, especially if you have your heart set on a certain area. The Wishes package would allow that as long as they have that option available. The other requirement that you have when you do a Wishes collection event, Wishes or Mini Wishes because they're the same thing, is a room night minimum. So you are required to book at least 10 nights, not 10 rooms, at a Disney-owned and operated resort. But once you do that, if you fill those 10 room nights, you get a free night. So this can be really great if you have always wanted to stay at the Grand Floridian, but it's been out of your price range. You can have your free night at any Disney-owned and operated resort. To fulfill the room night minimum, you have to set up what they call a room block. And that's where you set aside a certain number of rooms for your guests and for yourself. Again, it's room nights. So if you are staying for two weeks, and that means, you know, 14 nights at a Disney resort, right there you have filled the 10 room night minimum. The other aspect of this is that there are usually discounts when you book through this room block that you set up. Now, sometimes the discounts offered by Disney's Fairytale Weddings are not as good as the ones that 
the general public can get. So in that case, you would be able to book separately outside of Disney's fairy tale weddings, either through a travel agent or using this special code or a pin. And then you would just give the reservation number to your room block coordinator, and they would then apply that toward the 10 night minimum so that you still get credit for staying at a Disney resort. You just don't have to book through Disney. The other thing to know is that Disney actually will waive the room night minimum in many circumstances. So for like UK couples, a lot of people come over from the UK and they take holiday villas off property because they're going to stay for three or four weeks or whatever. So if you're in a situation where you just don't need to stay 10 nights on Disney property, they will waive this requirement. They just don't publicize this fact because obviously they'd love it if you would stay on property. So we actually waived our room nights, our room block. We didn't want it. Disney had no problem with that. And they also told us if we changed our mind, we can add it back on at a later date, which was great. But most of our guests, they ended up booking off property. So it really worked out well for us. And also, if you have people who are staying on property, but they don't want to stay in your room block, you could still take their reservation and apply it to your requirements and you'll still get the credit towards it. Yes, that's a great point. So if you're worried because your guests aren't booking through your room block, find out how they did book and you can just take that reservation number, give it to your room block coordinator and you will get the credit for that. I know the room block can be a little bit daunting for people because you have to set up the room block before you can even sign your contract and you're thinking, how do I know where my guests are gonna wanna stay? How many resorts should I block? How long, what days should I pick? I have an entire episode about the room block with all of my best tips for how long to make it, when to make it, how many resorts to use, how to figure out how many of your guests are probably going to use it. So do not despair. Check out that episode. I will put a link to it in the post for this show, and that will help you meet that challenge of setting up your room block in order to sign your contract. So then the other thing that comes along with a wishes event that they don't have with escape and memories is service charge and sales tax. Disney's service charge is now 24% and the Florida sales tax is 6.5%. And the number and variety of things that get service charge and sales tax is very daunting and confusing. I have a whole chart in Passporters, Disney Weddings and Honeymoons that breaks out which elements are taxed, which elements have service charge, which service charges get taxed. So I broke it all out in this chart and that'll help you know if you're trying to calculate what your budget potentially could be, how much you're actually going to spend on things. It does get very confusing. One way to think about it is that mostly the service charge is just for food and beverage, but then there are these random things like audiovisual services that also get a service charge. We had an issue and I couldn't figure out what it was that they were putting the service fees on. Oh, interesting. Did, did you ever figure it out? <laughs> yeah, we had to really go through our BEOs and the bills that they sent us and really try to figure it out because they don't make it very clear. It's just kind of added on there. So we eventually did figure it out, but we actually had to sit and analyze our bills and try to see where it was being applied to. 
Wow. Yeah. And that's another thing that I added in the passport or in the back, there's a self-calculating wishes budget. And so when you put in a price for something that you know you want, this worksheet will automatically calculate the service charge and the tax. So you don't even have to figure out, does this get tax or not? The worksheet knows if you put something in the food and beverage column, I'm going to put tax on that and I'm going to put service charge. And sometimes there's even tax on the service charge. <laughs> so... <laughs> The minimum number of guests you can have to do a wishes collection is 18. And if you have 18 and something happens and somebody can't come, they're not going to boot you. They're not going to cancel your wedding or tell you you have to downgrade to escape. So don't freak out about that. But as a starting point, they want you to have at least 18 guests. Because if you have fewer, it's really hard to meet a lot of the minimums required for wishes. And then the other thing you're going to need is a $4,000 deposit. They hold a portion of your deposit, so it will be applied to any overcharges on your wedding day. So it won't be deducted from your bill at the end. You'll receive it back. I didn't consider that, and I kept adding the $4,000 into you know, our budget, not realizing we would have to pay an extra $1,000 on top of it before our wedding. And we did get it back, but it, you still need to come up with that extra money while you're planning. Right. And we're going to go into that in a second when we talk about the minimum expenditure and your final payment and how that works with your deposit. But yeah, it can be confusing. So as always, if you're confused, ask your planner and they should be able to explain it to you. Yeah, it was just something I completely forgot about. <laughs> yeah, good to know. Okay, so planning. When you're ready to get started planning a wishes event, you can have a site visit up to 24 months out. So a site visit is where a sales consultant will take you to up to three locations. I always recommend that if you're going to do a site visit, visit places that you can't access on your own. So like the convention center locations, you can sneak around in there all day long and nobody's going to bat an eye. If it's uh, the patio at Italy Asola, you can go see that during the day when you're in Epcot. But places like Living Seas Salon or the Attic at Boardwalk Inn, which is usually locked, these are good candidates for going on a site visit because then your sales consultant can get you into them and you might not ordinarily be able to see them. Aerials is another one where usually the gate is locked, but you can kind of peek through the gate, but that might be a good one to add on your list if you're going to do a site visit. You can start working with a sales consultant at about 16 months out and you can book at 12 months out. So when you start working with a sales consultant, they can pencil you in, which is basically just they write down that you're interested and these are the locations you want and the times and the days, but nothing is set in stone. So at 12 months is when you then would start setting up your room block and you would pay your $4,000 deposit to hold your date at the locations you want. And I think you have two weeks to do that return your papers to them with the deposit. Yeah, don't freak out and think, you know, on that exact day, you're going to have to have everything ready, especially since setting up the room block can be a little bit confusing and take some back and forth. So you would just at 12 months, they would then reserve that space for you if it's available and start the process of setting up the room block. They send you this kind of confusing sheet to fill out for your room block. But again, listen to this episode that I have and it'll help you understand everything. So then once you have done your contract, you've returned your room block, you've paid your deposit, you get handed off to a wedding planner. So the sales consultant does all the salesy stuff, 
They figure out whether you can have the spaces that you want, all the sort of money-related contractual stuff, and then they pass you to a planner who is the person who does all the fun stuff, like, you know, what color chair covers you want and where you want to have things and what kind of food that you want to have. So you get assigned a planner after you've completed your contract phase of planning. Now you could have an in-person planning session at Walt Disney World no more than six months out. Occasionally you hear of them doing them like somebody comes over from the UK and they can only come over eight months out. But they prefer to do these planning sessions six months out or closer because that is when they can lock in the pricing. So if you go before six months out, they can try to tell you prices, but nothing is going to be set in stone until six months out. And a planning session, I have a whole show on planning sessions and what to expect and what to bring and what you should have prepared. But this is a great opportunity to go over every aspect of your day from start to finish. They usually start with transportation. How are you going to get there? How's the wedding party going to get there? How are your guests going to get there? And you can pick floral and decor. If you're going to get that through the Disney florist, You they will come to the meeting and you can pick out flowers and centerpieces and show them your ideas and your Pinterest boards. If you're going with an outside vendor because you're in a convention center location that allows that, then you would just skip that part of your planning session. They also have a cake tasting, which is really fun. And you can submit some choices if you want to try some of the more exotic flavors that aren't on their standard cake tasting tray. So just do that a few weeks in advance. And you can add on, but it's not automatic, a menu tasting where you would go to the kitchen, sometimes a ballroom, but usually the kitchen of the resort or the park where your meal is going to be made. And you get to try all the different things that maybe things you're not sure about or things that you're hoping they can recreate. The chefs will make them for you. And it's a really great opportunity to find out what the food's going to be like. Christy, did you guys do a planning session? We did. We only had it a few months earlier than our wedding. We went down Labor Day and our wedding was December 1st. So our planning session, we went over everything. We spent the entire day with our planner and the florist and the second half of the day we were in the kitchen at the Grand Floridian. We met with the chef. They were really wonderful with us. Food allergies that we were concerned about, they made suggestions for us. One of the things that was really helpful with our florist was that they had a PowerPoint and they went through everything they were able to pull up examples for us. So instead of us just telling them what we liked, we were able to show them on my Pinterest page, and then they were able to bring up things that they have that were related. There were certain chargers I wanted, so they were able to show me what they could give me. Our planner was able to pull up a file for all the different outfits that the characters could have. And we also requested if they could give us characters in an outfit that they did not have. Unfortunately, they weren't able to do that, but we were still able to pick something off of their sheets, which our planner never spoke with us about changing their outfits until we brought it up at our planning session. That's interesting, and that's a good point, because often you sort of have to come up with your own ideas with Disney and ask about them. They don't volunteer a lot of stuff. I mean, sometimes you hear about people who their planners are coming up with all these great ideas all the time. But usually it's, I saw somebody else had this or I saw a picture of this online. And then they'll say, okay, we'll get you a price for that. Or yes, we can do that. No, we can't do that. I had everything saved to a Pinterest page. 
that was for Disney specifically of everything that we had in mind. And I made a caption about why we wanted it. This way I didn't have to worry about bringing anything down with me or going through papers or finding the right paper or taking notes. Everything was just on Pinterest and they were able to pull it up and they were able to show me what they have in comparison or what they could do. And it just worked out really great that way. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's a really wonderful opportunity. And I know sometimes escape couples wish that they could have planning sessions. So if you are having a wishes event, it's great if you can take advantage of that. And again, I have an entire episode about the planning session, what to expect, what you should bring, all of those things that you're going to want to know. So you can check that out. And I will put the link in the post for this show. So then after your planning session, usually about six weeks, sometimes it's a little earlier, sometimes if they're really busy, it's a little later, your planner will send you your BEO, the banquet event order, and your estimated budget. So the BEO is like the Bible of your day. If it isn't in the BEO, it's not going to happen. So you need to go over the BEO with a fine tooth comb and make sure that everything you asked for at your planning session, all of the arrangements, the transportation, the pickup times, the spelling of your names, everything in it is correct. And you will probably have multiple revisions. So feel free to go through it with a red pen, send it back. They'll send you a new one. Go through that one with a red pen. And it's just very important that you make sure it has everything you want. Even if it's things like, I think I had it written, um, does not want clouding on the cake table because I didn't like the look of poofy linens around the cakes. So <laughs> any little thing that, that you have a an eye twitch about, put it in your BEO. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And even if you've told your planner you want things a certain way and they forget to write it in the BEO and you think that they will remember to do it, they might forget. That happened with us, with our character appearance and we reminded our planner a couple of times, but I guess she completely forgot and it wasn't in our VEO, so they came out at the wrong time. But everything should, we had a few mistakes that were in that too that I was able to correct that just in certain places things were worded the wrong way or colors were wrong and or changes weren't revised. Just to really look it over and make sure it is everything you want because whoever's putting your wedding together and all the details, that's what they're going to be reviewing. Yeah, that's really great advice. And don't worry about, you know, oh, am I imposing or I don't want to seem like a jerk. It's important and they can't do it exactly the way you like it if they don't have it written out. So because not just your planner isn't the only person working on your event, there are going to be servers and there are florists. And so everybody is going to be looking at your BEO as the Bible of the day. What, how is this supposed to go? So don't feel bad if you're if you keep making revisions, you want it to have exactly what you want in it. Yes, at your planning session or if you don't have one and you're just speaking with your planner and they give you your BEO, just make sure it has everything that you want first and then worry about taking things out. It's so much easier that way because then you have the amounts for everything up front and then you can figure out what you do want and what you don't want. That's a great tip. Yeah, I always tell people at the planning session, have them price out everything you could possibly want. Pipe and drape, sure. Fireworks, cannons, go for it. And then that way, when you get the prices, then you can say, oh, I can't afford that. But you'll know what the prices are. Yeah. So then after you get your BEO and you've started working on your budget, the next thing that happens is your minimum expenditure is going to be due 90 days out from your date. So the minimum expenditure is calculated by adding your ceremony fee, 
to 75% of the amount of your food and beverage expenditure plus the enhancement minimum. So you add those things up, that's your minimum expenditure, and then you subtract $3,000 of your deposit. So that part of your deposit does apply to your minimum expenditure. So for some people that can be a relief because it lowers the amount, but if you thought that all $4,000 applied, it can be kind of a rude awakening as Christy was mentioning. But you get it back. You do get it back. And it does help in the end. It might help with your honeymoon or it might help with expenses that you do go over on. But at least you don't have to worry about paying even more after your wedding. Exactly. Yeah. So after the minimum expenditure, you have your final payment. So that's anything you didn't pay at the minimum expenditure, basically, plus anything you added. So it'll be the other 25% of your food and beverage, plus the tax and service charge on everything, and then any extra expenses. If you decided to switch up your chairs or you added favors or something, those you would pay for at your final payment. And it is based on the estimated guest count at that time, but you can still change the guest count. The problem is if it goes down because you've already paid for all of these people and then three days before suddenly you lose five people. That's always a drag. If you add people, that works fine because they will take any extras out of your $1,000 that was held back, as Christy was saying. So after the wedding, they take that $1,000 that they were hanging on to. And if, you know, on the day of the wedding, you added a bottle of champagne or your bill on consumption bar went over, they take that out of the extra $1,000. If you didn't go over, you get that $1,000 back. And it's a nice little bonus that you can help, like Christy says, pay for your honeymoon. (laughs) Oh, and the other thing you would get back is if you did do a bill on consumption bar and the estimate was more than people actually drank, after the wedding, you would get back the difference there too. So that's another fun bonus that you can get if you use bill on consumption. And I have a whole episode about bill on consumption bars that will explain that and why it's a better option than paying for Disney's prepaid packages. So let's talk about a wishes wedding timeline. If you have a wishes wedding, how is your day going to run? Generally, the photographer or photographers meet you at your hotel room or maybe in the lobby and do portraits. This is also when you would add a first look. And I have a whole show on first looks. But basically, a first look is an opportunity for the bridal couple to be alone together before all of the craziness of the day starts and have photos taken when they first see each other. So you capture that, you know, if the groom bursts into tears when he sees the bride in her dress, you get all of that captured in privacy. And it allows you to then take portraits together before the ceremony so that you don't have to, if you don't want to, you don't have to take portraits after the ceremony and you can go straight to the reception and enjoy your cocktail hour if you want to. So I always recommend a first look, but I again, I have a whole show on that, especially if you have some like a mother-in-law or a groom who is hesitant. This show has interviews with brides and grooms who have done them and are so glad that they did them. (laughs) I actually did a first look with my dad. My husband did not want to do a first look at all. He's very traditional and he just, he did not want to. So I did one with my dad and those are some of my favorite moments of our entire day and some of my favorite photos that I have now. I was always a daddy's girl growing up, so I know I'll have these photos and I'll treasure them the rest of my life. Ah, that sounds wonderful. (laughs) 
So the next thing that happens is there's transportation to the ceremony for you and your guests. Now, maybe you have a limo and you go with your bridal party, or sometimes people save money by actually riding to the ceremony with their guests, or they have the transportation for the guests, take them there first and then go back to get the guests. There are many different ways you can do this, and I have a whole show about transportation that talks about how to optimize it so you save the most money. So then after everybody gets to the ceremony site, you'll have your ceremony, you'll do a staged exit. So that means that after the actual exit, they will line everybody up again. And if you have bubbles or petals or anything like that, the guests throw those and that way you have better pictures because everybody knows exactly what's happening. And then if you didn't do a first look, you could do bridal portraits or family portraits while your guests go to the pre-reception or cocktail hour and wait for you to finish taking all of those photos. We did not like the idea of leaving our guests because to me, the pre-reception is always the most boring part of any wedding because you're thinking, when do I get to eat real food and how long is this going to take? So... (laughs) Because we did a first look, we just did family portraits with everybody at the wedding, and then all of us went together to our reception. But traditionally, the bridal couple will go off to take portraits while the guests go to the pre-reception slash cocktail hour. We did uh, bridal portraits only because it would give us more time where our ceremony was. Even though we got married at the wedding pavilion, we were staying at Animal Kingdom Lodge. We wouldn't have had time to take enough photos that I wanted at our ceremony location. So that's why we still did our bridal photos after. That's a good point. Yeah. So then after the pre-reception, you go into the reception and that follows a traditional format where you would start with your first dance and then have some speeches, do the meal, do ceremonial first dances. And then if you have any entertainment, like if you have characters coming or if you have, you know, crazy face characters like uninvited guests, something like that, that would happen mixed in with the dancing. And then you do your cake cutting and you can change these up. Your planner will recommend the traditional or the best format for your location and for what you want to do with your event. But that's generally how the reception runs. And then optionally, if you have an earlier ceremony and reception, you might want to add a dessert party in a theme park or at the Contemporary or the Grand Floridian afterwards. So for us, our brunch reception ended at two and we took a break. We took a nap. A lot of our guests took a nap. Some of our guests went to the parks. They got to change out of their monkey suits and get into comfortable clothes. And then we all met back up in Epcot at UK Lockside to watch Illuminations. And for a lot of people, it was their favorite part of our wedding because they got a private viewing area for fireworks and we had all these desserts. And it was a really fun only at Disney sort of moment that you can add to a wedding when you get married at Walt Disney World. Yeah, we did the same thing. And our dessert party was one of the favorite parts of my whole day. Our guests absolutely loved it. It was, I guess it was a wow moment for them that they were escorted into the park and we had a private area and it was set up for us. I guess they don't think that it happens very often. (laughs) But they really loved the experience and They still talk about it with us, and they really just can't believe that we have this amazing dessert party. Yeah, that's a great point. It really makes a big impression on guests. Even our guests are still talking about it because, like you say, it's a a private event. They feel like royalty. They're being escorted in, and it's really something you can only do at Disney. So I highly recommend it if you can fit it in your budget. Unfortunately, the expenses don't count toward any of the minimums for a wishes event anymore but it can be worth it or if you do 
a mini wishes event, you could have that be in place of a reception. So that would be a great way to do it and have it fit in the mini wishes catered event experience budget. Sometimes people worry, especially if there's a break, you know, you can set it up depending on when your ceremony is that you go straight from the reception to the dessert party. I don't usually recommend that because from what I've seen of couples who have done this, the guests at that point, they've already had four or five hours of a reception. And then suddenly this is this other thing they have to do. And it just feels like an extension of an already long reception to them. Whereas if you have a break, it's this wow moment because everybody is refreshed and they're ready for the next thing. And then when they see what it is, it's so exciting because it's nothing they've ever gotten to do at Disney before. And they're able to eat more. Yes, good point. They aren't <laughs> stuffed with wedding cake. They, they're ready for desserts. And their desserts are amazing. We had those nitrogen beer chocolate ball thing. Whatever they're called, they were amazing and they tasted so good. And we had other desserts too. But you're only served food for about an hour, so it's not too long. But if your guests are already eating, they might be full and not realize how much food you're going to have at the dessert party too. Right, right, yeah. And those dessert party menus are completely customizable. So even if your planner sends you like three menus to choose from, you can have pretty much anything. If you want the carrot cake cookies from Rider's Stop at Hollywood Studios, or if you want to try to recreate a Dole Whip, they can't get the actual Dole Whip machines, but they can come pretty close. You know, anything that you can think of, you can add to the dessert party. Yes, we had an all chocolate menu, and it was awesome. <laughs> That's great. So then one thing you might want to do, we've just talked about dessert parties, is add other events to your day. So as I was saying, they don't count toward the minimum expenditures, but if you do want to have other events with your guests, your Disney planner can help you plan those. So like a dessert party, if you don't do it on the day of your wedding or vow renewal, you might want to do it as a welcome party or as a farewell party. You might also want to arrange a rehearsal dinner, which you know, it doesn't have to be a private catered event. Maybe you just make a big reservation at Ohana, but that's something to think about. And then something else that is one of these things that Disney doesn't mention a lot, but if you ask about it, they're like, oh yeah, you can add that, is a ride mix-in. They also have a ride buyout, but there's a big difference between the two of them. So if you're having an event in a park, you could do a ride buyout, which is where you pay thousands of dollars to have the ride stay open during your event. So say you're having a reception at Tower of Terror Courtyard, you can pay, I think it's $6,500 to have Tower of Terror running so that your guests can go ride it as many times as they want during your party because your party is after hours. So it's not like there are day guests there. But a much cheaper option is to do a ride mix-in. So if you're having an event that is in the park where you want to have the ride mix-in and it times out with the end of the operating day, you can pay $15 per person to have your guests escorted to the front of the line at that ride and go on one ride. So this is a really fun option like at the end of a dessert party or if you are having a later reception, say at American Adventure Rotunda in Epcot, you can go out before you go to the reception but while Epcot is closing and be the last group to ride on Test Track or the last people to ride on Soren. Having done a Soren ride mix-in, I will say it's not the greatest because you still have to wait for the whole show to run through before you can get on it. So it wasn't like it saved us any time. I would probably recommend, you know, Frozen or some other actual ride in Epcot if you're going to do a, a mix-in. I wish we did a ride mix-in. We had our welcome party in Animal Kingdom and our dessert party was in Epcot. So I really wish we did a ride mix-in for one of those two. 
Oh, yeah, because the safari would be great or Everest, although Everest is tricky because so many people don't like roller coasters. But yeah. Yeah, I really wish we did. But maybe we're Valerie <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so hopefully Christy and I have covered a lot of the frequently asked questions, but I have a few more that I see a lot that we're going to go over now. The first is what venues can I use for the ceremony and reception? Disney's Fairy Tale Weddings website has pictures and information on some of the venues, but there are a lot more venues that are not even on there. So I have compiled as many as I can get photos of on my website, Disney Travel Babble. So if you go to DisneyTravelBabble.com slash Disney dash weddings slash WDW dash venue dash photos, I have photos of all the different places you can have ceremonies and receptions at Walt Disney World. I will put the link to that page in the post for this show so that you don't have to try to type all that out. <laughs> but Basically, the sky can be the limit, especially with the parks. It just depends on what the parks will approve. So right now, there's a lot of construction going on inside Disney Hollywood Studios. Often, if you ask for something, they'll say, no, it's off limits due to construction. But it never hurts to ask because, especially at Disney Hollywood Studios, having been on a venue tour there, it seems like they can pretty much turn anything into an event venue if you're interested in it. So I always say ask. And, you know, if you've seen something online or you've been to a part of the park that's your favorite part of the park, ask about it. Can you have a reception in the Magic Kingdom? The only way to do that would be if you had the $180,000 after hours wedding. There are no other reception venues in the park. And even if you do the pretty expensive East Plaza Garden or train station ceremonies in the Magic Kingdom, you still can't do your reception there. But all the other parks have plenty of reception locations. It's just that you usually need to wait until two hours after the park closes before you can get into them, which means you might be having kind of a late event. Now, I'm doing an event for our anniversary where originally they told me Epcot closes at 9, you can't get into the venue till 11, but now the park management has come back and said, oh, actually, I think we could get you in there around 9.30 or 10. So it never hurts to ask and see if they can approve an earlier time so that your guests are eating at a little more reasonable hour. And Disney tries really hard to accommodate any requests that you have. Even if at first they say no, they still consider it and they try to get back to you with a yes. Yeah, so definitely give them a chance to, to make magic for you. <laughs> <laughs> now, another question I see is, do we get annual passes with our wedding? And this is because you used to get annual passes with your wedding, but Disney has removed those from all weddings at Walt Disney World. So even wishes, nobody gets annual passes anymore. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's very disappointing. And then another question, can I bring my own floral and decor? Yes, at certain spots and depending on what you want. So your personal floral, you can bring that anywhere, even the wedding pavilion. So if you want to make your own bouquet or buy a paper bouquet off Etsy or even work with a local florist on just bouquets and boutonnieres and personal floral, you can definitely do that at any location. However, reception floral and decor must be provided by Disney at every place except indoor convention center spaces. So wedding pavilion, you have to use Disney. If you are at Seabreeze Point or someplace that's outside where other guests can see it, you have to use Disney definitely inside the parks. 
But if you are having your reception in a ballroom at the Contemporary or the Grand Floridian or any of the other convention centers, you can work with an outside vendor and you will usually save either half as much money or you will get way more for your money if you use an outside vendor. And there are popular vendors in the Orlando area who work at Disney all the time. They know exactly what they're doing. Sometimes Disney even hires them to do decor during the holidays and things. So it's not like you're going with an unknown or it's complicated or harder to use an outside vendor. They know the drill. They know how to work with Disney and it can be a great way to save some money. And I have a page in the Passporter that will explain where you can and can't have outside vendors and what you can and can't bring yourself. So a lot of times people want to make their own centerpieces, say. There are certain restrictions. You know, in a park, you can't bring anything of your own. There's no way for somebody in your wedding party to get in there early and set it up. But definitely talk to your planner because sometimes they will let you bring elements of them. Like you want to have books as part of your centerpiece. Well, you can bring them the books and Disney Floral will combine them. But it tends to depend on the venue and sometimes the whims of the planner. So definitely talk to your planner about it. Another question I see a lot is, are there any discounts on Disney's fairy tale weddings? With Wishes, we've already talked about the Mini Wishes catered event experience. That is the closest thing they have to a public discount. There are, from time to time, Florida resident and cast member discounts, but it varies by season and sometimes day of the week, and sometimes they'll have them, and then they'll take them away, and then they'll bring them back. So you have to ask your sales consultant whether there is anything during the time that you want to have your wedding. Now, in the past, those discounts for Florida residents and cast members have been 10% off food and beverage every day except Saturday, 10% off specialty transportation, so that's like Cinderella's glass coach or a vintage car, and then 10% off floral, entertainment, photo, anything that you can get from Disney. And then sometimes they will also give you an extra 10% off your food and beverage if you use Disney for everything. But again, these vary. Right now, if you call them up, they may say they don't have any or they may have even better ones. But you need to talk to your sales consultant to find out whether you qualify for a Florida resident or cast member discount during your event. And another question I see a lot is, can only Disney's fairy tale weddings couples take bridal portraits in the Magic Kingdom? You'll see these gorgeous photos of women in their beautiful ball gowns in front of the castle. And yes, until recently, these were restricted to people who had had weddings at Walt Disney World and Disneyland. Well, now anybody can take one of these. So if you want to bring your wedding gown to Walt Disney World, you can pay Disney Fine Art Photography to have a pre-park opening bridal portrait session in the Magic Kingdom. Now, the only restriction is that if you didn't have a Disney wedding, you have to wait until four months out from the date you want to book. Disney's fairy tale weddings couples can book as soon as they sign their contract. So that is one advantage there. But anybody can do it. You can also have bridal portraits taken in any of the other parks, or you can do multiple parks. You could do all four parks. Or if you want to do Epcot, you could do Epcot and one other park on the same day. So I do have a whole show about bridal portrait sessions with all of the frequently asked questions, including the new prices, which aren't cheap. I think it's now up to about $2,100 to have your bridal portraits taken in the Magic Kingdom. But check out the link to that show in the post for this show to get more information about that. And I think you need to pay in full when you book as well now. Yes, good point. It used to be that you could just pay a little deposit, but now you got to have all that scratch right up front. We did portraits in all four parks and we're planning on doing Magic Kingdom and Epcot again. 
but we also need to wait four months now. So we don't get the one year availability. We have to wait like everyone else does. So that's also something to consider. How many days did it take you to shoot in all four parks? Since we were married in December, we had to go back for Magic Kingdom. But we did two days after our wedding, we had Animal Kingdom. And then the next day we did Epcot and Hollywood Studios. And the end of January, we went back and did Magic Kingdom. That's great. It's an amazing experience to be able to do those sessions and to go into each park when they're closed and walk around by yourselves and with your photographer and go to any location that you want as long as it, you know, you can, it's allowed. And it's just, it's really incredible. That's great. Well, Christy, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I think you've offered a lot of great tips and advice for anyone who's interested in the Wishes collection at Walt Disney World. And hopefully we've answered a lot of the frequently asked questions. And I appreciate your taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. That's our show for today. If you enjoyed it, be sure to rate the Disney Wedding Podcast on iTunes so that others will find it. You can also send your comments, questions, and suggestions to info at DisneyWeddingPodcast.com. Past shows are available in iTunes and on the show's website. And for instant answers to all your Disney's Fairy Tale Weddings questions, check out Passporter's Disney Weddings and Honeymoons Guide, available as an interactive ebook with continual free updates at Passporter.com weddings.asp or in print at Passporter.com and Amazon.com.